children of the world, parents of the world, this is for you. I'm Rowena. And I'm April. We are best friends and moms to five young athletes and sisters to Olympic champions. We have a mission to inspire our kids and your kids through the stories of champions. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Okay, team, we have an interesting chat today with Vance Law. He was a pro baseball player for 14 years, playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Chicago White Sox, the Montreal Expos, the Chicago Cubs, and the Oakland Athletics. He also played pro in Japan for a little while and went on to coach college baseball and pro baseball for a Another 29 years. He is a committed husband and father to five and a wealth of wisdom. We cannot wait to share him with you. Welcome, Vance, and thank you for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Rowena. Oh, so fun. You know, I was so funny the other day when my husband just nonchalantly yelled out to you when you're at our house and he's like, hey, Vance, I found your baseball card the other day. (laughs) I, I was like, what? Who are you? I need to find out more. So that was a really lucky day, I feel like. Oh, well, thank you. That's, uh, it was fun for me to get to know you, you and your family a lot better. So good. So you grew up with, I'm learning, a little bit of a family baseball legacy. Your dad was Vern Law, a Cy Young Award winner. Paint us a little picture of what that was like. Well, we used to, uh, growing up, I was, I was a proud son of uh, a fairly famous father uh, during his playing days, and he was a great pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the late 50s through the 60s, and uh, actually won a World Series in 1960, the same year that he won the Cy Young Award. And if he were to tell you, he would say that... Uh, at the time that he received the Cy Young Award, they only gave out one for both leagues, so, so one total. Wow. So he was the best pitcher in all of baseball at that time. Now, Nowadays, they give one for the American League and one for the National League. Uh, but in his day, they only gave out one, and he was the, you know, he was the winner that year in 1960. But we used to live in Idaho in the offseason, and then every – Every spring training, my mother and dad would pop, uh, pack up a station wagon and off we would go for a four-day trip to get to Florida from Idaho uh, with five boys in the back of the car. And then we would be there for six weeks of spring training. My dad would fly up to Pittsburgh to start the season and my mother would pack the rest of us up and we would drive back to Idaho again to uh, finish up school. And then when the summer was about to start, we would load up again and she would drive us across the United States again to Pittsburgh, another four day drive. Um, and we would be there for the rest of the summer. Uh, we had the opportunity as sons to go to the ballpark. We had to kind of rotate because he couldn't take all five of us boys going. But I managed to get my fair share of uh, opportunities to go to the ballpark. And, and uh, I was proud to do that. I remember days that he pitched uh, especially if he won, I thought it was really amazing that when he exited the locker room area in baseball, they call it the clubhouse. When they exit the clubhouse, there were fans all over and I was kind of getting pushed and shoved out of the way, but I would grab his big hand and, uh, be so proud to be able to walk outside with him and fans are, you know, really 
crowding around him wanting autographs. And so he was very accommodating and signed a lot of those. And I just kind of hang on to his pocket or his shirt sleeve. So I didn't get uh, left behind and he would sign all the way to our, to where he was parked. And uh, that was kind of an everyday experience when I got to go to the ballpark, but it was, uh, it was really a fun exposure for me. And I thought, at a very early age, probably five or six, that this is what I want to do for a living. I want to play professional baseball. And I don't think it was for the fame, but I just really started to love watching the games. I couldn't wait for a doubleheader. We got to watch two games in, in one day and go to the ballpark and spend the entire day and into the evening uh, watching baseball. And uh, extra inning games were great because, uh, you know, they just play it to the finish. Sometimes those would be 14 or 15 innings, and we'd get to be there for three or four hours. So it was great. Wow, that's incredible. What um, a gift and a, and a vision for you to have as a kid. When So you said early on you had decided you wanted to play baseball. Did you ever feel pressure, or were you always internally motivated to play? I, I felt I never felt pressure from my dad, from my family at all. It was just something that as each season came about, baseball, football, basketball, I would participate in all the sports. That was really what was a lot of fun. My mother made sure we were well-rounded, so all of us in the family uh, learned to play a musical instrument. I still play the piano, and uh, so that was very important for our family. Uh, we were all pretty good students and did well in school, so that was, a, that was something that was important. Uh, so sports wasn't really pressurized. It wasn't until I started playing at a little bit higher level that people thought that just because my dad was a major league player, I should be better than everybody else. I was pretty good, but it wasn't that, you know, genetics didn't give me everything. I, I had to work at it and become the best that I could. But my, because my dad and the exposure that I had, I understood how to play the game a lot earlier than some of the other you know, boys that I was playing against. What do you think, is there a lesson that you can remember that was really poignant from that you learned from your dad that you can pass on to our listeners? Yeah, I think the first thing he said, if you're not having fun, you shouldn't be playing. That's why they say play ball. It's, yes. You know, it's not work ball. If, if this becomes a burden for you to go to practice, then find something else to do. Because he mm -hmm. said, you, the number one thing, you need to have fun. And uh, I remember after games, it wasn't, hey, did you guys win? His, his first statement was, hey, did you guys have fun? Did you have fun today? And, you know, that was what it was all about, was playing because it was fun. And I kept that, to, I try to keep, keep that in mind even through my professional career. Uh, sure, there's pressure and there's stress and there's, because your living is, is based on your performance. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, the bottom line is I played the game because I, I was good at it, but I also, it was just fun. It was just really a fun career to have. And, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough. Coaching is not as fun as playing, but I've yeah. been fortunate enough to be in the game of baseball, whether as a coach or a player for the last 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. So I consider myself very, very fortunate to do something that I love I love the game of baseball. There's many lessons to be taught in it. Um, and, you know, that was, I think that was the biggest lesson that I ever received from my dad as far as baseball was concerned is 
you got to have fun. Wow, I love it. And do you think that you were able to have a lot of belief in yourself just because you watched him and saw what was possible? Or did he pour a lot of belief in you? Or how did you get kind of that confidence? To me, it's always success breeds confidence. And then the more confident you, you are, that breeds more success. And it's just kind of a cycle. And um, we were taught in our family to be humble. Humility was, you know, being braggadocious was not something that was accepted in our family. And so we needed to, we needed to understand that we had gifts and our, our job was to try to magnify those gifts. And in our family, a lot of that was in athletics. And, uh, but we weren't to, we weren't to think more highly of ourselves than somebody else just because we were good at it. And so I think it took me a lot of, it took me a little longer when I got to the major leagues, I was probably in the major leagues a year to a year and a half before I started to feel like, Hey, I really belong here. I am good enough to compete here because let's face it. The first time you go out there, you're facing a pitcher that you've been watching since junior high school, like Tom Mm -hmm. Seaver. He was one of the guys that I remember. He was, you know, he was up on the hall of fame level and, here I am as a rookie just trying to get my start and I'm facing somebody that I've been watching on TV, you know, since I was in junior high and you start to question, am I this good that I can play here? Uh, and it took me probably a good year before I started having the success that, that I could look at myself and say, Hey, I'm pretty good. I can do this. And Mm. uh, I would tell young people that in your minds, Respect your opponents, but be confident that you can compete with anybody. And that that confidence comes with having a little bit of success and building on that and knowing that you have put the work in to make yourself successful. Such good advice. I, uh, I'd love you to tell the story of the conversation you had with your, fa- your future father-in-law. Um, I feel like there's a really important lesson in there for our young listeners. So take us back. (laughs) I was, uh, my wife and I've been married now for 45 years and we got married very young. Uh, I was almost 20 and she was only 18. And, uh, uh, so I have, when, when we were thinking about getting married, I knew I was going to have to have that conversation with my future father-in-law who was a, uh, an actor, but at the time was a professor of uh, drama and cinematic arts at, at Brigham Young University. And so I went up to his office and I said, uh, I would like to meet, you know, in essence, I would like to marry your, uh, your daughter. And he said, oh, we've been expecting this for some time now. And uh, he said, how are you going to support my daughter? my daughter. And I said, well, I, I plan to be a professional baseball player. Well, him being in the entertainment industry as an actor knew how difficult it was in that industry to become good enough where you can make money to support a family. And, uh, he looked at me right in the eye and said, well, that's great. Uh, but how are you going to make money to pay for, <laughs> to pay for all the bills that are coming? And I said, I plan to play professional baseball. And it wasn't, he didn't ask if I had a backup plan. Uh, If that didn't work out, he just said, well, that sounds great. And uh, 
So we ended up getting married later at, at the end of the summer. And, uh, you know, it started out, I was still in college and uh, she was just starting college. And we, uh, we, we got to go to Alaska to play summer ball. And we have been a team ever since. Uh, she has been right there with me for spring trainings, pack up the family, very similar to what my mother did, go to spring training for six weeks, back home to finish school, back to wherever I was playing, whether it was uh, Pittsburgh or Montreal or Chicago or Oakland or Japan. And we'd pack up everybody. And we had a trunk packed with, you know, all the kitchen utensils and things that you might need. Uh, summer clothing and off we would go every year and uh, I couldn't have done what I did without her she is uh, an amazing woman uh, very very supportive and independent enough that she could do things on her own and she just didn't need to have me all the time being there as uh, she didn't identify as Vance Law's wife she was Sharon Law and still is that's incredible. What unwavering belief, you know, making a decision like that, like this is what I'm going to do. I, I really feel like the universe responds to that. So that's amazing. Do you feel like your wife being so supportive was part of the your success for having such a long career in the major leagues? Because you do have quite a, a, a impressively long career. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's no question in my mind. I couldn't have done what I did without her. And uh, especially that long, I, I know a lot of marriages that don't survive uh, Major League, the profession of Major League Baseball. Uh, there's many of my teammates are on their second or third wives. And, you know, we made a commitment to one another and she just she was just right there with me. She was all in and uh, she was a great confidant. There's a lot of times where you, as a player, you have to try to work through some some times where you're in a slump, where you're having unsuccessful nights at the ballpark. You're just not doing, you're not getting hits. You're not getting the results that you've worked for. And so you go home and you take, you take that sometimes with you. I tried to always leave it at the ballpark, but you can't help but take a, a real bad night home. And uh, she would just let me talk it out with her. She would listen. She said, hey, you've done this before. You're going to do it again. Don't worry about it. Let's, you know, let's sleep on this and you'll have a great day tomorrow. And, you know, she was always positive, always looking for the, the bright side. Then when we had children, you know, you come home and there was things to do. I didn't have time to dwell on myself. I had, you know, I got to be able to put kids to bed and, you know, stuff like that. That was, uh, that was another thing that I thought really helped me as a player is that I didn't have time to dwell on, you know, what I was doing so much. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, we have a lot of young kids listening to this podcast, but also parents and teachers and coaches. And I think what you just mentioned there about your, your wife, she, to me, sounds like the positive leader and she displayed the power of positive leadership. And it's what, you know, I think any parent or coach or support team, there's so much power in that, that we don't give as much um, credit to. So I love hearing that beautiful story. Let's talk about some of the harder things, like specifically when you were drafted early on solo and talk us through like what that was like to your confidence, how you got through that. Um, yeah, I'd love you to share that story. Okay. Well, there are, there were 50 rounds of uh, draft, draft picks back 
when I was drafted back in 1978. And uh, that has since shrunk because of baseball has gone through many changes and the evolution that uh, is going on now. But uh, then, you know, I and I had a really good college career, I thought. I thought that I would be drafted in the first 10 rounds and be able to receive some kind of a signing bonus. Uh, the first day went by and I didn't receive a phone call. The second day went by and I didn't receive a phone call. And I had pretty well, you know, they were close to 30 rounds at that point. And I was pretty down because mm. here I had based my future on having an opportunity to play professional baseball. And I hadn't heard anything in the first two days and the third day rolled around, and I actually heard on the news uh, in, from Salt Lake City that I was drafted in the 39th round, and I was elated. At that point, you know, I just wanted an opportunity. I knew there would be no money involved at that point. I wasn't going to receive a signing bonus, but I had an opportunity. And that's all, I, at that point, that's all I looked for. So I, I received a uh, plane ticket to Bradenton, Florida, where they had all their draft guys show up for kind of a mini, a mini session. And after a week there, they came to me and said, we've decided that uh, you're going to start your career in high A ball. So I went up there and I played for about a month and a half, about 80 games or so, uh, I guess two months, two and a half months. And uh and had a real good, successful summer. And then that winter, I received the opportunity. The next year, they said, uh, we're going to see if you can play in AAA, which is only one step away from the major leagues. So that's where I went. But during that time, being drafted in the 39th round, uh, I, I had heard through the grapevine that the Pirates drafted me because of my dad. My dad played for the Pirates, and that was really discouraging. I mm. thought... I don't want to make it on my dad's name. My dad was a great pitcher for the Pirates. And uh, I thought that maybe he had called them after the first two days. And I didn't have any uh, notification. And then then all of a sudden, I uh, I get notification that maybe my dad made this, this phone call. Come to find out, he did not. I didn't find this out till years later, probably oh. three years later, that he did not make a call. But they indeed made the, they, they said, oh, Vern Law's got a son out there playing at BYU. Let's give him a chance. And they, they told me then that they thought they would bring me in, let me play a little bit. I would see for myself that I wasn't good enough, and then I would be sent home. But I had different plans, and it worked out. I actually made it to the major leagues with the Pirates, and then later on was traded to the White Sox and traded on and on and on. But uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was it was eye opening for me. But I battled through it, and yeah. I still believed in myself. And I listened to the coaches that I had. I had a great manager in A ball that taught me that, uh, hey, if you get a, a nagging injury, you need to try to play through it. Because if you don't, somebody else is there waiting for that opportunity. Mm, wow, that's amazing. That's got to that had to have been so hard. It's amazing that you were able to keep your head up through all that. Because, um, wow. Do you think your decision way back before you'd even, you know, when you're in college, deciding you were going to be a professional player? Do you think that decision took you through this? It's like you had a longer game, a longer vision. Uh, absolutely. I I knew that. 
this was the first step. This was the first step in professional baseball. And I knew it's a grind. Mm. You just don't go there and have success. You, you're, you're going to fail. My first at bat, I, 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 I got hit my first at bat. The next at bat, I got struck. I struck out on a, on a real nasty, meaning a uh, nasty pitch, meaning it's un, basically unhittable. And uh, I thought to myself, if this is able, what's the big leagues like? But I said to myself, you know, the next next time I'm up here, I'm not going to get that same pitch. I'm going to hit when I get a good pitch to hit. And things started to pick up and I played really well. So it's a uh, it is. A, I, I think it did come back to what I wanted to do and the commitment that I had made to myself and to my my wife and. We're going to battle through it. And this first two and a half months, she was in Provo, Utah, and I was in Salem, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, because that's just the way it was. You didn't make enough money in in minor league baseball that uh, if you were married, that your spouse could stay with you. So, you know, there were times where we spent a fair amount of time apart, but uh, having a relationship that we trusted each other and that we loved one another, and she would be home cheering me on when she could. There was no internet, so it was a weekly phone call. I didn't make enough money I could call. We didn't have cell phones. So I saved my dimes and my quarters, went down to the gas station every Sunday, and I put them in until the operator says, uh, your time's up, and I'd say goodbye. I'll talk to you next Sunday. <laughs> wow. So it's a, a, lot of, a lot different times than it is now, wow. for sure. So inspiring. Do you, uh, let's actually get a little bit um, kind of nitty down to like the actual game. Cause I know in baseball, there's so many times when you, you have something like you just a situation, like you just had, like you got hit and then you struck out. How do you get back up to the next time that you have to hit and stay positive and tell yourself that you can do it? Do you have any, anything that really would, would help you? Well, I found that the best, the best remedy or the best medicine for that was to have a, a listening ear as a hitting coach. And, uh, I, I would talk with I would talk with my hitting coach. I would talk with the manager when I was in A ball. Uh, he would share his advice uh, and just say and, and he'd say, hey, the number one thing you have to remember in baseball is did you swing at strikes? And that's really that's really the key to being a, a successful hitter is swinging at strikes because pitchers are out there to try to get you out and they don't want to throw you strikes if they don't have to. So if you chase at pitches that aren't in that square box that we see uh, by the catcher that they now have on television, if the ball doesn't go in that box, you shouldn't be swinging at it. But that's what a pitcher tries to do. They try to get ahead of you and then they'll throw pitches outside that box. And if they can get you to chase after them, they're going to have the success. So those are the kinds of things that they would remind me of, that I'd remind myself of. I would just ask myself, did I swing at strikes? Did I swing at the pitch that I can be successful with? And that's really the key to it. Hmm. You um, you talked, I've heard you talk about a time in your career that was really pivotal and that changed the whole course of your life, really. And it was um, to do with a coach and you being open to his influence. Um, tell us a little bit of those, detail, yeah, this, those details. This changed my, this, you're, you're speaking of the trade from the Pirates to the White Sox. Now, okay. I had grown up a Pirates fan because that's who my dad played for. I was drafted by the Pirates. I grew up a Pirate. And that's who I thought I would be for the rest of my career. 
And when you get called into the manager's office and they say, and they say, uh, uh, we've just decided to trade you to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, I left that clubhouse in tears. And I remember the last, as I left that clubhouse after I packed up my bag and the lock, my locker, all that stuff, and I le was leaving, one of my good friends, guy by the name of Bill Madlock, a great player, came up, put his arm around me, and he said, uh, Vance, this will be the best thing for you. And through my tears, I said, I don't know, Bill, I don't know if this is going to be that great. I, this is where I think I belong. And he said, no, this, this will be great for you. So I go to the White Sox spring training facility, and uh, which was only a few miles away in Sarasota, and I walk in, and because I played in glasses, but I didn't wear glasses off the field, I walked into the clubhouse, and the manager's office is right there to the left, and I walk in, and the manager, Tony Larusa, who now is back managing the White Sox, he sees me come in, and he says, hey, can I help you? And I said, yeah, my name's Vance Law. I just got traded here. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> the manager doesn't even recognize me. What kind of success am I going to have here? <laughs> but uh, uh, he said, well, I thought you wore glasses. And I said, only when I play. So that kind of made me feel a little better. If, if I would have had glasses, maybe he would have recognized me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the hitting coach there was a guy by the name of Charlie Lau. And I'd seen the success that he had with guys like Hal McRae and especially George Brett. And I basically told myself, I will drop everything that I've ever learned and I will listen to Charlie and do everything that he tells me that I ought to do. And so I started to implement a completely different style of hitting uh, where you get to your front side and you, you know, this is probably getting a little too deep instead of back foot pivoting because there's a saying especially here in utah that you squash the bug with your back foot in real life you don't squash the bug with your back foot you've got to get into the front side it's more like a golf swing on a different plane so i was learning something completely new but i'd already gotten to the major leagues but charlie helped me understand and i could have those concepts in my own mind so that i was able to uh, coach myself because he told me, he said, you need to learn this because I'm not always going to be around. And, you know, little did I know he got liver cancer and died within about a year and a half, but he taught me so much about the game of baseball and how to become a better hitter. And that's the reason I have the career that I've had both as a player and as a coach. I remember one at bat that I had in Montreal, uh, excuse me, in Toronto for the White Sox, I was hitting. Well, there's two at bats. I was, we were facing a guy by the name of Jim Gott, who's a friend of mine, and he was a starting pitcher at the time. And he blew me away with three fastballs in the upper 90s. I had, in my mind, I, had, I said, I've got no chance against this guy. He is throwing so hard. I, I'll never catch up to this. Struck out, go and sit in the dugout. I sat by Charlie and I said, I got no shot. And he goes, No, no, yes, you do. Next at bat, I want you to go up and I want you to spread your feet out just a little bit. And I'll let you know when you're where you need to be. And so I got up there and I got into a kind of a wider stance. And he's, and I hear him from the dugout, wider. And I go a little wider. He goes, wider. I get a little wider. He goes, one more time, wider. And so now I feel like I'm on skates because I'm I've never hit this wide before. <laughs> 
and uh, the first pitch it comes in, I smash a double off the left center field wall and get to second base, and I'm out there scratching my head like, what did I just do? How did I hit that ball? <laughs> and I end up scoring. I came back in, and I said, what purpose does getting wider do? And he says, well, think about it. If you start right here and you stride to here, all the time that you're striding like that, the ball is traveling. If you widen out, now you're still going to stride to that same finishing point, but it's much quicker and you will have your foot down. And if you don't have your foot down, you can't swing. So once you get your foot down quicker, then you start to swing and you can be on time. And I used that the rest of my career when I faced somebody that was throwing extremely hard. I just made adjustments in how what my stride length was by getting a little wider in, the, in, in my stance. It's those kinds of things that were so meaningful to me that taught me the adjustments that I can make during a game that would make me a better hitter. And I love Charlie. Oh, what an unbelievable teacher and coach and man he was. It's so, it's so incredible hearing that story because I think because hearing the whole story where you hear you talk about how you feel like it's going to be the worst thing ever that's happened to you and it ends up being the best thing. I think that that's that's life in general, right? We're always like, why, Absolutely. you know, can get into that, like, why me? Why is this happening? And it's because there's a higher plan and you just have to trust it and, you know, go with it. So that that was incredible. I love it. Did you have a um like a mental uh, coach throughout your career? No, that was never a, that wasn't an option back in those days. <laughs> that wasn't something that was, in fact, if you felt like you needed to go see somebody, that was, that was more a sign of weakness back then. Now it's just part of the plan. You can make yourself better. And I wish I would have had that kind of encouragement, that kind of a, an opportunity where I could talk about stuff like that. Because if we did, it would be uh, just absolutely incredible to think you don't have to try to go through tough times alone. You have somebody else that uh, you'll be able to you'll be able to bounce things off. My wife was my mental coach, kind of, she, <laughs> to be quite honest. She sounds amazing. And your yeah. son's in that business now, is that right? He's the mental skills trainer for the exactly yes. He, so the Cubs? he was a player. He his name is Adam. And he was a player. Uh, he was a player for the Dodgers and for the Seattle Mariners. Got to AAA, and uh, unfortunately was released. But then he got his. He ended up getting his Masters. The Dodgers re-signed him, and uh, to be in play, their player development program. And uh, he got his Masters degree in mental performance, and he's hoping to become a mental skills coach uh, for the Dodgers. We'll see if that pans out, but uh, with that, with his work ethic, uh, there's no doubt he's going to be very, very successful in being able to help players. Uh, he's on Twitter. He's on Twitter, uh, trying to build a, a following a little bit right now with some of his advice on his mental skills and what you can do to really the power of positive thinking. Yeah, you know, keep well, things positive. His- What's his Twitter? We'll have our uh, listeners go follow him. Adam Law. Okay. Um, yeah. th- that's actually one of our missions with this podcast to make it just more normal. Like kids go to baseball training and make it normal for kids to have mental training when they're young so that it becomes uh, just part of life. It's a habit. It's Because when you right. learn when you're young, it's, I mean, we're finding as parents, it's so easy. It's so so much more natural. 
Uh, it's at Adam Law 217. Okay. Awesome. Follow. Yeah, we'll be following. That's yeah. great. Um, would you, so now tell us about what, okay, so you played for 16 years. Is that like, is that right? Four, 14 years. 14. And then you went yes. on to coach, right? You coached for quite a while. Right. I coached in uh, junior college for two years, high school for five years, uh, division one at Brigham Young University for 13 years, and then for nine years back in the pro game. So I add that up. It's about 29 years, I think, something like that. Wow. It's so amazing, actually, to even paint that picture for people that have um, kind of goals similar to like what your career was to see that that is something that's possible to do with, a, you know, with anything really, but you know, with baseball, being able to go on to coach, that's quite amazing. Did you when you had the dream of being in the major leagues? Did you ever think, oh, and then I could actually go to coach? Or were you like, okay, one one step at a time? <laughs> and then it, it just was, developed? It just it just developed exactly right. Uh, I had hoped to play another three or four years. Uh, that didn't work out. But uh you know, you can only play golf that much, so much when you're, you know, 35 years old, you've got to find something that you've, that is meaningful. And though I love to play golf, I wasn't getting any, it wasn't satisfying just to play. That was selfish. I needed to do something that I felt like I was helping others. So I volunteered to coach at uh, a junior college locally. And that's what I did for the next two years. Finally, I, then I decided, well, I need to try to find something that's going to pay me a little bit. And I didn't know that high school ball wouldn't pay you a whole lot more than <laughs> junior college. So, But I coached for five years uh, in high school, primarily because the program was really struggling. And my oldest son was just going in and I wanted him and his friends to have a positive experience. And I was I, I thought I can. I can make this a positive experience for them. I can teach them how to play the game the right way, and we're going to have success doing it. And when they were seniors three years later, we won the state championship. And it was it still is one of my most favorite memories of all of my baseball career was to coach and see these young men have great success as high school seniors. And it was, it was just a really fabulous experience. Uh, after five years of coaching there, the job opened up at Brigham Young University, and I applied and got that job, and I was there for 13 really good years, fun years, right, coaching in my hometown at my alma mater. Um, and then when I was let go there, I got back into the professional game, and I found that I really enjoyed the professional game. That was, uh, that was really fun. In fact, a bunch of the guys that I've coached, are playing for the White Sox right now in the uh, in the playoffs, so it's kind of fun to watch watch those oh. guys have success at this level. So satisfying, I bet. Gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of our young listeners, you know, they're they're so young and they're really at a place in life where they can become anyone they want to be. Right now, it's like all up to them. So I'd love you to share with our um, young champions. What are some of the traits that you saw when you were coaching for all those years um, in your top players, your top athletes? You'd like to think that everybody's thinking of the team first, but I know that you have to worry about yourself. It's an individual game at a team level. And uh, I know it comes from hard work and you have to be able to put in the time. If you put in the time, you're going to, you're going to be able to, 
get better and better. Uh, you know, being a champion is, is not just winning. It's not just about, you know, not losing the last game of the season. If you win the last game of the season, you're going to be the champions. There's no question about that. And that's fun. I've, I've not done that uh, as far as winning the World Series like my dad did. Uh, we did win the last game of the season in high school when I was a, when I was coaching there. That made us champions. But even when we didn't win, I had champions on my team because they were guys that improved every day, that became really good players. And baseball is such a crazy game. It, you can have the best team, but if the other team, the other team's trying to win too. And the other team may have a pitcher that is really on that day, or you may hit every line drive and it goes right at somebody and you don't win the game. That doesn't make you, you know, any less of a player. You just didn't win the game. And I, I want guys to understand, kids especially, you don't have to, if you don't win the game, it doesn't make you less of a person or less of a player. You can be a champion because you're working at being a champion. And you're working at becoming the best you can be. It doesn't have to even be in sports. It can be the best musician. It can be the best computer programmer. It can be the best podcaster. You know, it can be the best mechanic. Whatever you're in that have interest in, you can be a become a champion because you are striving to be the best that you can be. Uh, I think that that's very very important for people to understand is that you never give up and that you just keep grinding and you keep trying to be the best that you can become. And then the sky is the limit. It literally is. You can become whoever you want to become. You just have a never say die attitude. I, I love that concept. And I, we are blessed in this country to have the opportunities for us out there, but we have to, we have to put in the effort. People that sit back and expect it to come to them, those aren't who I want on my team. I want the ones that go after it, you know, guys that aren't afraid to work. I love to see, I love to see uh, dirt under the fingernails, that type of a person that they're not afraid to, they're not afraid to get down and dirty. I really, you know, one of the great lessons that I've ever learned, my dad would come down and watch practices while I was, uh, while I was, coaching at BYU he would come down and just watch and here he was about that time about 80 to 85 years old and uh somebody would hit a foul ball out of the ballpark and usually pitchers are assigned to go retrieve the foul balls because we don't have an unlimited budget so go get the foul balls pitchers are lazy sometimes they don't want to do that you know I want to stay here somebody else will do it you know who would get up out of their seat and go pick up the foul ball. World Series champion, a 1960 Cy Young Award winner, he would stand up, leave the ballpark, and come back with four or five baseballs and throw them back out onto the field. I'd pull my team together and say, do you know who that is? Do you know what he's accomplished? Why do you think he accomplished it? Because nothing is beneath him. And and that's the kind of person I want on my team. I love you, Shed. That's that's, story. that's those are those are the real winners. Those are the real winners.
That's amazing. I uh, I love that story. I just love that so much because I feel like so many people, so many kids especially can learn from that because I see that all the time where you're like, come on, what are you doing? Go get it. So yes. I love it. Um, okay. So one, one of the last questions just wanted to know if you could give your 10 year old self some advice or if you would give advice to, you know, kind of some young some of these young champions that maybe you haven't kind of discussed yet what is something that you would love to tell them i would love to tell them to to be coachable to listen absorb and learn don't become a robot and do only what you're told but you practice it see what works understand that this you know that uh you know if this isn't working something else will but always have a never say die attitude I'm going to learn this skill. If it's hitting, if it's throwing, if it's fielding, if it's running, you know, there's a right way to run. There's a right way to run the bases. There's, you know, if if you will listen and try to watch and learn every time you're playing. I, 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 cr- I have to crack up when I watch a high school game nowadays because the kids in the dugout aren't watching the game if they're not, if they're not in the field. They're talking, they're on the phone, they're looking in the stands at mom and dad. And and I'm thinking you could learn so much by just watching the game. You got to watch the game and understand what's going on. And I think that that is the biggest thing is kids need to be coachable and, and trying to learn the right way to play. I want guys to not follow everything they see a major leaguer do. It bothers me when I see a veteran player hit a ground ball to to third base and he knows he's going to be out because guys just don't make very many errors and he barely gets to first base and he touches it and turns around and goes back to his dugout. I, I remember a quote from George Brett where he said he hopes his last at bat of his entire career is a ground ball to second base and he almost beats it out at first base. That means that he is still at age 40, running as hard as he possibly can and almost beating that out. Because you don't know if somebody's going to drop the ball or they're going to throw it away. And if you're not hustling and playing the game the way it's supposed to be, the way it's supposed to be played, then you're not having fun. You're not enjoying it. And you're certainly not giving the, the fans their money's worth. They paid to watch. They didn't pay to watch you walk to first base. They want to see guys play hard. And I, I, I tried to live that. Uh, I'll never forget those, those kinds of things. And I think that that's important for kids to learn. Be coachable, play the game right, play the game hard. Oh, amazing parting words. Um, it gave me so much joy as you just spoke with so, with so much passion about just, you know, never give up. It's been our family motto, Hill Dolls never give up. It's such a good brainwashing technique, you know. <laughs> Without you a that. doubt. And I actually, yesterday, I was really taken with you um, for our listeners. You know, I chatted with Vance yesterday. He'd been hit by a car while on his bike ride, his exercise. And as I left, he's like, yeah, I've been working out. I'm like, I have a goal. I have a goal to work out for 365 days straight. And he's like, I don't know how I'm going to keep going with this one. And he was trying to figure out how he can keep working out through all the pain after his, um, his car accident. And I was just thinking once a champion, always a champion, it doesn't leave you. And it'll carry like, if you're a parent listening right now, or if you're a, a young one listening, these habits and traits that you're building during your sport, they will carry you through 
some of the hardest, darkest times. They'll serve you in your life forever. And, and, um, you're such a shining example, Vance. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you very much. And, uh, just, yeah, it wasn't fun getting hit on my bike by a car yesterday. Pretty sore this morning, but, uh, I've already been on my bike and went out and rode for an hour in the rain. And uh, so my, my workout's done, my streak's still intact. I'm day 342 right now. So I've only got, uh, what, 23 days left. <laughs> and I'll reach my goal of uh, working out straight for, for a year every day. So <laughs> I love it. It's good. <laughs> so incredible. You're such an inspiration. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, April. I appreciate it.